Welcome to Worship at Grace Lakin. This service was recorded on February 19th, 2023. Pastor Rem Dias continues the Ruth series with a gospel message from Ruth chapter 4, verses 1 through 22, titled, Redemption is Here. Yeah, in more 
singing these songs, Lord, that you, that justice rolls, that praises rise at your name, in the name of Jesus Christ, and you are King of Kings forever. You are King of Kings forever. Lord, I just pray that you would be with us as we, whatever we bring this morning to our to church and to worship you this morning. Lord, be joy and relief and um, encouragement for heavy burdens and discouragement and do more out. Um, and I pray that we would just come here. We would lay it all down. We would lift your name up and we would find hope in this truth. The truth that you are king forevermore. The hopes that we sing and that we know this gospel. This gospel that, uh, that we proclaim. And Lord, I pray 
Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good. How are we doing? Okay. All right. We'll work on it. All right. Well, if you have your worship guide, your bulletin, you want to flip it open uh, and look at the passage we have for our renewal. Again, uh, we're, what we do here at the renewal is we let Scripture expose us, uh, and, and then we fall um, on that one gospel that we just sang about, on the gospel of Jesus Right, so today uh, we're going to jump around in Daniel chapter 9, and Daniel chapter 9 is this prayer that Daniel gives up uh, in the midst of Israel's great wickedness and rebellion um, that we see that leads them actually into exile. So he's praying this kind of this communal repentance, renewal, and uh, it will lead us uh, as well to confess our sins. So here we go. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, 4, 5, verse 7, and then you'll 10. I pray to the Lord my God and make confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong, acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commands and rules. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us will be shame, because we have sinned against you and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws. And he said before us by his servants, the prophets. You know, um, when we come to this time again, I think, uh, I love, well, I love how Tim Keller says it. Um, we are we are way more sinful than we actually think we are. But his grace and mercy and his hope is way much bigger than we ever dared to be. And and that's what we're doing here. Again. So I want you to be honest. Why would we be anything else, guys, with the Lord right now? Uh, with the depths of our sin, with the depths, I mean, I mean his prayer is honest, he's, he's being honest with the Lord. So let's can we do that this morning? Can we turn to God as a community and plead with Him? Plead that Lord have mercy upon us for times that we have acted this week, this morning, turning aside from Him. And then believing in the power of the gospel to transform us. So let's do that now in the time of sign prayer and confession. Redemption. 
Father, I just pray, God, I pray against anything that the enemy is wanting to hold shame and guilt over uh, your children this morning. Wanting to cripple them this morning. I am praying fresh hope in this place. That, Father, we would just think about the gospel in our mind and, and maybe even sing the gospel here this morning and hear the word and just have it stay in our mind. But would you, by your great and mighty, powerful spirit, allow the gospel to and what you have done to come down in the depths of our hearts and that we would all rest in your redeeming, forgiving love that's ultimately displayed in your kingdom, our Savior, Jesus. So, bring hope. By your Spirit, um, come near to us. We don't want to go through this service thinking of us. Help us to the end of ourselves this morning that we would bask in your glory. And then that latent and then the nations would know because of how we love you and how we love each other. And that we are sent out of this place with a desire, with a hopeful desire to make your name. Thank you for being here. Help us to realize that. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, uh, Titus chapter 3 verse 4 through 7 is our assurance of pardon says this when the kindness of God our Savior ah when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness but according to his mercy but see that his mercy is more his Mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Y'all should just be standing up, and y'all should be wanting to sing because of that great promise. So stand and let's sing.
I'm angry at God. There's a lot going on. Chapter 2, we get, uh, we get a, little bit of, a little bit of hope. We introduce this guy named Boaz. Boaz is this, this redeemer, this kinsman redeemer, who Ruth finds herself in his field by the providence of God. And we start to think, oh man, is this family going to be turned around by this kinsman redeemer? Chapter 3, uh, we learned last week, he turns up. And, uh, you know, Ruth and, and Boaz have, a, have an intimate encounter, but he still doesn't redeem her. He still doesn't say, I'm going to be your kinsman redeemer. Remember, Israelite law had a, 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 a person who could have been a kinsman redeemer. And a kinsman redeemer could restore uh, widows, these, these, these poor, these outcasts in society by reclaiming their land, reclaiming their name. And, and so this is who Boaz is, but it still has not happened. We're all wondering, is it going to happen? Well, I don't know. Chapter 4. All right, that's where we're going to go. we got a lot of verses today. Um, and uh, it's almost great if you want to follow along. And you guys are looking great this morning. And is everybody okay? Maybe shake your guys on your lap this morning. Okay, all right, thank you. All right, here we go. So let's, uh, let's dive in. Uh, verse... Uh, one of chapter four. Here we go. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. So Boaz said, "Turn aside, friend. Sit down here." And he turned aside and sat down. And he looked, and he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, "Sit down here." So they sat down. Then he said to the redeemer. Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and, and, and say, buy it in the presence of, of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it. And I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the redeemer said, Well, I can't redeem it for myself. At least I pay my own inheritance. Take my right to the redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal, and Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are witnesses this day, that I have bought from the hand of Naomi uh, all that belonged to Elimelech. And all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. And Ruth the Moabite, and, uh, and Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. And that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers, and from among the gates of his, of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into that your house like Rachel and Leah, who together 
builds up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Africa and, and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, who tame our board to Judah because of, the because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So, Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. And he went into her, and the Lord gave her concession, and she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed, blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall give you a restorer of life, a nurture of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the woman of the, na the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, His son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. And the, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And you get this awesome genealogy. Now, now these are the gen generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Menadab. Menadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon. Salmon fathered Boaz. Boaz fathered Obed. Obed fathered Jesse. And Jesse fathered David. You guys should be celebrating on that little section of scripture. You should be jumping up and down about that. And if you don't know why, then hang in. I'll tell you why. Because you read genealogy. Who likes genealogies in the Bible? Like, what is with all the names and the list? Well, I hope to show you that this right here is the main point of the book. You might be thinking, what? Well, hang in. We'll, we'll, we'll get there. Alright. I'm titling this message, Redemption is Here. Turn to your neighbor and, and nudge him a little bit this morning and say, Redemption's here. Hello. Wake up. Redemption is here. Okay. Be nice. Be nice. <laughs> Alright, Jesus, we are thankful that redemption is here. And that, Father, uh, you know, as I thought about this text and I have my sermon, and you know what you've laid upon my heart, and you speak this in my own life this morning, that necessarily, Father, there's stuff here that I don't know might not be completely new and shocking to some people. Um, but let the truth, like help us not to just constantly want new information, but help us to apply the stuff we already know. Deep down into our hearts, the Spirit do that. As we look at this passage, don't let me say anything that's not here. Strike things out of my notes that I, I don't need to say, but the things I need to say help me to elevate um, clearly and that, again, that Jesus would be here to so In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, well, recently I learned about these gigantic tapestries. I didn't know what a tapestry was. Uh, does anybody know what a tapestry is? And a ta okay, well, good. Maybe uh, some. Uh, a tapestry, uh, it's like uh, some of these modern-day tapestries I feel like I see in, like, modern-day mommy's homes, like these little crochet things on their, on their uh, wall. But uh, these tapestries, um, they were really famous uh, uh, hanging in, in castles, but now we find them in, like, modern-day museums. And what a tapestry is, is like it's it's these uh, these these fabrics, these pieces of fabrics, and these pictures of fabrics that are that are woven together and and, and to, to create some big elaborate picture. They're actually really cool. I thought about and um, should put one on the screen. But anyway, what's interesting about these tapestries? I mean, the front side of these tapestries are beautiful, but the back side, the back side of tapestries are like these. 
chaotic, weird, mental messes. Like there's chords going every which way, and it looks like some child uh, made it. And um, Corrington Boone, Corrington Boone, who, who was a, a Dutch Christian who helped uh, uh, Jews escape Nazi persecution, amazing story, amazing woman of God. She, she wrote about uh, tapestries, and, and in this, this amazing poem about tapestries and the glory of God, she, one, of these, one of these lines from that poem says this. She says, And I, in foolish pride, forget he sees the upper, the, the front side of the tapestry, and I see the underside of the tapestry. See, Ruth chapter 4. Ruth chapter 4 is we finally, we've been looking at this backside of the tapestry. Like this woven mess. It seems like all these. And now, the chapter 4 is like this flipping, this turning, where now we're seeing like, oh my goodness. This is what God's been doing. This is what God's been doing. And let's be honest with our hearts and our lives. The reason why I wanted to go through this book is to root us into reality. And the reality is we're living in the backside of the tapestry right now. A lot of us. And we have all of these cords. And we're thinking you might be in a season like this. I have no idea what in the world this cord is. It seems like it came. My, my life seems like a mangled mess. I don't even know what is what. It's a season of, ah, like, is anything making sense? And my hope and my prayer is that by the Spirit of God, by the Word of God, you see the redemption of Jesus Christ, that your life is never wasted in the Redeemer's hands. And not a single second of your uh, life and season is wasted. I don't know if you're trying to be like, there's a front side of the tapestry coming in his hands. And so what do we do? The question I want to ask us today as we interpret this passage, what do we do when we don't, uh, we don't necessarily know how the situation is going to work out? Again, we're in this mangled mess of life. What do we do? And plain and simple, here's what I hope to show you tonight. We rejoice in knowing God can redeem all things. God can redeem all things. So what I want to show you here is, uh, the, by the way, the, the word redemption is repeated 23 times in the book of Ruth. And most of those come in chapter 4. So this theme of redemption, meaning God buying back, buying back what has been lost and to redeem us and to restore us is the main theme here. And so, when life is tangled, we need to rejoice in the redemption that is offered to us. So that's what I want to show you, three areas of how we can rejoice in redemption. And as we look at what redemption look, <clears throat> looks like in the hands of Jesus, I hope to serve your question. So, here we go. First, if you're taking notes, it's in your, it's in your uh, worship guide. The first way, we must rejoice. We must rejoice in the price. Everybody say price. Say it again. Say price. 
There you go. The price of redemption. The price of redemption. First one, here we go. Now, Boaz goes up to the gate. Anybody know what a gate is? Weird. I mean, there's a lot of weird language here. Like, what is it? A gate is like, um, think of it, it's, the, it's where uh, legal transactions were happening in this time. Think of, uh, you know, it's a modern day, like, courthouse, okay? Modern day courthouse, there's the gate. And behold, the Redeemer, the Redeemer, thank you. How did you know that I needed that? Man, very good. Jesus is alive. Thank you. I was struggling. Hold on, give me a second. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. Um, <clears throat> Boaz says then, turn aside, friend, and sit down. So he sees this Redeemer. There is a Redeemer that is ahead in the line of redeeming Ruth and Naomi before Boaz. Okay, so he's at the gate. This other guy comes in. He sees him. He says, turn aside, my friend. And they have a little conversation. Now, what's really interesting here is that in the book of Ruth, we've been seeing that names matter. There's meaning behind names. And what's really fun, I love this, is that this guy is given no name. Literally, you can translate the Hebrew here. Here's a little Hebrew for you. Uh, is uh, Mr. So-and-so. It's like, who's this guy? And this, by the way, this, this passage helps me as a pastor who's really bad at knowing names. And if I ever get really excited, like, hey, man, hey, bro, you know, I don't know your name. And I'm so sorry. Um, but, so, uh, I mean, uh, it's just, this is what it is. So he doesn't know, he doesn't really get a name, and we're going to understand why he's not named. It's actually important why this guy doesn't get a name. Verse 2, Boaz, he gets the elders of the city together, so he wants to get the witnesses. He doesn't want just this transaction just to be him and the Redeemer. He gets the elders of the city. These are the leaders of the city together. And verse 3, he starts his pitch or his cell to Naomi. That's what he says. Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to Elimelech. Okay? Her husband. She's selling. She has land in her name. It's not enough to live on. Um, and, and it's the only thing she has. And he says, he says to her, if redeem it, redeem it. You should redeem this, you should redeem it. If not, there is someone in line to redeem it. He's basically saying, I will redeem it if you won't. Okay? And again, here's the thing. A kinsman redeemer, by, by, by him agreeing to, if he agrees to redeem it, he will get this land. That belongs to Naomi. And this would have been, okay, this would have been not a bad deal. Because Naomi's old. At this point, it's just Naomi. The picture Naomi's old. So this redeemer doesn't necessarily have to marry her and, and have offspring with her. And if she had offspring with this redeemer, then, then the land would have been transitioned to the offspring. And this guy who redeemed it would have not given land. So he's thinking, oh, I'm going to deal. I'm going to marry her. I'm going to get some land. It's not that much money. So what does he do? He says, I'll redeem it. I'll redeem it. And all of us are thinking, Boaz, you're a tricky dude. Because what did he leave out? Oh, well, here he goes. He, uh, he says, verse 5, when you get the field, so he says, I'll do it. And he's like, oh, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. There's like, uh, it's a beautiful house, but there's something in the attic. 
That's bad. No, Bruce has some random person to add. But you get wrong here. So he says, verse 5, there's something more to this deal. When you get in the field, you will require Ruth, the Moabite, the widow of the dead, to keep her name alive. You, you, you'll redeem her as well. What does the guy do? This guy is again, he gets a no name for a reason. Because in verse 6, then he goes, well, I guess I can't redeem it. Are you serious? He said, then he changed his mind. I'm not going to redeem it. And he says, you take the right of my redemption because I cannot do it. So, Mr. So-and-so, he, he sees, he sees at first the land with Naomi and thinks, oh, this is good. I'm going to get some lands for cheap and it's going to be good for me. But then when he adds, now you give Ruth, he sees the cost that that would have entailed Oh my goodness, now I have to have Ruth and I have to redeem her. We have to have offspring. And then and this offspring is going to take this, uh, this land. And, and then he said, Well, it's not a really good deal. And he walks away from the deal. Now you might be thinking, How in the world does that apply to me? Like, that's great, but how does that apply to me? And here's how, what I want you to see. We will never do good gospel ministry. You will not, you and I will never do good gospel ministry if we're always thinking. And if we're, the church is not going to get real good at growing if we're always thinking about ministry in the context of what's in it for me. What am I gleaning from the deal? When you sign up to follow Jesus, guess what? You come to the, it's all about you coming to the end of yourself. And you sign up to, okay, ministry is going to cost you at times. If we're going to experience gospel change in Lakin, it's going to cost you time, energy, money, maybe reputation, but it doesn't matter compared to the glory of what you're gaining. We're getting Christ. His glory. And so let us glean, let's glean from Mr. So-and-so here and say, oh my goodness, okay. You know, it's going to cost. But the beautiful reality is the price is high. It's a high price of this redemption. The transaction is, it's a high price. But Boaz, but Boaz says, I will do it. I will do it. I will pay the price. And I want you to say the same thing. You've got to see this in our redemption in Jesus. See, we cannot redeem ourselves. We cannot, you can't go by, <laughs> oh my goodness, man, my brain, uh, you know, boy, totally redeem myself. You can't redeem yourself. You can't go by and redeem yourself. You can't redeem yourself. You can't do it. But listen to what Paul says. Listen to this. We can rejoice because Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, uh, verse 20 and 7, 20, he says, You were bought with a price. Like, lean in here. You were bought with a price. And what is the price for our lives? What was the price of our redemption? For us to be reconciled to God, it was the death of Jesus. The perfect Son of God. 
And when the Son of God saw the price that he saw, that yes, it was going to cost him, it was going to cost him his life to buy you and I back, to buy us back to reconciliation with God, he didn't walk away from the deal. The price of our redemption is the death of King Jesus. That's the price. And you know, when we have to say, oh, I've got to redeem myself. I've got to do something to redeem my worth and my value in life outside of the cross. You're saying, Jesus, that wasn't good enough. That price wasn't good enough. Listen, the spotless name of God has purchased died for you. The price of our redemption. We need to rejoice in that price. But let's that leads right in. The point one and two kind of infused together because we must rejoice in the resolve of our redemption. Because, yes, that's the price, and Boaz is willing to do the price, but words are cheap. Everybody can say, hey, I'll do that. But when it comes to reality, when, it, when, when Robert meets the road, he's still, he's still saying, I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it, but he still hasn't really known the deal. Is it going to happen? And this is what we see, verses 7 and 9. The text says, here he goes, um, that uh, he, he finally goes and he says that they, they drove on, they, they exchanged their sandals. Okay? Now, this is not a prescriptive hermeneutic uh, in scripture. It doesn't mean, hey, will you make a deal, by the way? Now, you need to take your sandals off. All right? And exchange them to everybody. No, that's not... Would this would have been like a modern day, uh, modern day, this is like, uh, hey, let's shake on it, let's sign on the dotted line here, okay, so he says, I'm going to do it, and then he's, and so they're exchanging the sandals, so they're, ex- I mean, this is like, hey, the deal is being done, your witnesses today, Ruth the Moabite, I mean, he is, he has put her under, I mean, Boaz has put her under his care, now this is deep, Protection and care in the witnesses of others. And this is what's really fun. Because verses 11 and 12. So the interaction happens, it changes samples, it's all good. But then you get this prayer. If you look at verses 11 and 12, you get this prayer. The people are on there watching, and there's this prayer done by the people. This is what the prayer says. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like... Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. This seems obscure. But we need to know, just track with me for a second. Rachel and Leah are the ones who bore the 12 tribes of Israel, who God makes his amazing covenant with. And then, verse 12, it says, May you be like the house of Perez, who Tamar bore to Judah. Now, we don't have time to go into all this, but this is a reference to Genesis 38. And what do we know about Tamar? If anybody knows Genesis 38, it's, uh, maybe it's not really uh, even PG. It's like a PG-13, maybe R uh, type chapter of scripture. Okay, so if you want to, you know, read some dice and stuff, go ahead and read Genesis 38. Because basically what it says is Tamar uh, is a widow as well. She's widowed as well, but she has offspring through the line of Judah, track with me for a second, through the line of Judah, through an immoral way. 
So the women, all they're praying, is all, does all this boiler up make sense? Rachel, Tamar, what does all this mean? They're praying that you would have the Lord's blessing and that from the line of Judah, we know will come King Jesus. So they're saying, may you have blessing. They are praying that, that the Lord would bless their marriage and they would have offspring. Just like these examples of the Old Testament. And I thought about this and I thought about, wow, these people are looking on and they're praying. They're praying for them. And this sounds elementary, but you have got to see this. Or ask this question to yourself Who are you praying for? Like, who are we? Praying for, or really praying and believing that praying for one another actually matters. Again, I was in my devotion this morning, and Jesus' ministry is booming, and he withdraws to desolate places to pray. So convicted to me, and I, I'm reading this book right now called The A Praying Church, A Praying Church, and it is so powerful. And one of the quotes that I got from it was this. He says, what, what I pray over lasts. And what I don't pray over doesn't last. But there's more, he says. A Jesus community is characterized by wonder. And the conduit to that wonder is prayer. He says, I've seen what happens when the spirit of Jesus inhabits a community. Everything starts to change. And the conduit to that is prayer. <coughs> Praying. Lord Jesus, help us see the wonder and the glory of who you are. They are praying for these sisters. And my question for you and I, how are we doing for praying for one another, praying and believing that this conduit of God's grace and mercy to, to us to experience the reality of Him. Prayer is not a thing we just tack on to our Christian life. It's like breathing. It's just like we're just constantly coming to Him. And again, I want you to notice Boaz in this section doesn't just say he would do it, but he has to resolve. He is willing. I believe that the author, by giving us, again, sometimes it's obscure, like, why is all this detail about Samuels and Rachel and Leah and all this detail about this interaction and all these witnesses? And what is the big deal when, with all of this going on? Is I think the author is wanting to highlight just the resolve, just the, just the passion, the energy for, I mean, that Boaz had to actually do what he said he would do. And willingly, longing to redeem that. And see, when it comes to our redemption, we have to see that Jesus has the right to redeem us. He's the only one perfect. He, he saw the price, right? The price of his life that he willingly laid down. Um, but then we also have to see that for the, as Scripture talks about, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He actually had the resolve. 
He actually had the desire and the delight to redeem us. See, I don't think you're, I don't know if you're tracking, because if anything in Scripture shows God's glory and His, displaying His glory, it's, it's the fact that in Christ, He delights in redeeming His people back to Him. And doing everything possible, even in the sending of His Son. And here's the reality of it. I think we treat God, if we're honest with our hearts, like, let's, heart checks, here's one. If we're honest with our hearts, sometimes I think we do not think God delights in resolving to redeem us. If we're not careful, we can step, steep into this misunderstanding of Christianity where we have a God who is just like this giant taskmaster in heaven, and that he even, even he looks down and he sees you in your sin, and he thinks, you think of him, oh, he's the same, I'm a moron. I'm a moron, I blew it again, and he's up there like, man, I just can't stand it, they're doing it. Maybe don't think he's a mess. He has resolved to come towards you, rushing to the you. I heard, uh, I heard an illustration that kind of helped with this um, from Dave Orton. And uh, he says, imagine a compassionate doctor uh, had traveled deep into the jungles to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted, afflicted by a contagious disease. Right? Picture this. He has the medical equipment flown in. He has correctly diagnosed the problem. And antibiotics are prepared and available. He is independently wealthy and has no need for any, any, any form of compensation. He doesn't need money from it. But as he seeks to provide care, the afflicted refuse. They want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. But then, finally, a few brave young men step forward to receive care, freely provided, what does the doctor feel? Joy. His joy is increased to the degree that the sick come to him for help and for healing. That's the whole reason why he came. How much more if the, the, these distressed people were they're his own, his own family? And then he quotes this, I love it. Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help and mercy. He gets more comfort, he gets more delight when we come to him broken than we do. The Lord is not flustered. He delights and he has to see the resolve in his Saw the Christ, but he delights. He delights in the person here this morning who feels like he's the most unworthy person in here. To come to you, to redeem you, it's why he came. So let's follow him. Let's follow him. And then finally, we must rejoice in the big plan of redemption. 
the big plan of Jesus. Verse 13, Boaz takes Ruth and she becomes his wife. I love it. You know why I love this? Uh, because here's why. I come off with this. There's no wedding in Ruth. There's no big ceremony. I mean, I've been thinking, like, I don't know, like, shouldn't it be some, like, big, like, big old celebration during the barn with shit laughing everywhere and everyone's, you know, dancing, having a good time? And, you know, like, what? Like, no, like, you know, like, there's no wedding. And I love that because, and I think this is an important side. This is an important side for just married couples for a second. This is just a side. There's no wedding in Ruth. And what's emphasized? Redemption. Redemption. Not the wedding. Not the wedding. Not some big event. Boaz is only wanting to redeem. He's, he's looking at the Savior. He's looking at the redemptive moment. Not the wedding. Not the big ceremony. It's not what's highlighted by the author. And this is a side. This is just a help for you in your marriage. If... Um, he said like this, if you make your marriage about an event, about if the biggest part of your marriage was the wedding, or, or your marriage is about vacations, you're just having kids, it's about these events instead of around a person, around a redeemer, you'll miss it. You'll miss it. See, what gives, what gives Power and energy to a marriage is you look at each other and you realize when you look at each other, they can be your savior. Don't ask them to. The only savior that can hold the weight of your soul is Christ. He's the, he's the redeemer. And so we put him in the middle, not our spouses. Don't put that on your spouse. They can't do it. They can only help you point around the main point, which is Christ. That's one for three. So here we go. They bear a son. I notice that the Lord is the one that gives conception. And then Ruth and Boaz, they kind of fall out of the scene for a second. And it ends with Naomi. I love it how it ends with Naomi. You're like, why this book about Ruth? And it ends with Naomi. And it says, the women say this to Naomi. I love this. They say, blessed be the Lord who has not left you. He has not left you. And then it goes on to say, God hasn't left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. Who are they talking about? Hasn't left you, Naomi, without a redeemer. They're talking about the child that Ruth now is going to have. Who we're related to, his name is Obed. They're talking about this redeemer that's going to now come from the family line and is going to carry on the name. And then it says this He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nurturer of your old age. For your daughter in law, whom you love, Ruth, is more to you than seven sons. Not just seven, the Hebrew for seven is a, it's a number of, of perfection and, and sons would have carried on the name. And basically what they're praying and saying about Ruth is like, she has been faithful. Her covenant, kindness, and care towards you know, should be revered. This is amazing what she did. Walking with you through this. And then Naomi takes the child. Imagine, again, look at the whole story. Chapter 1, I'm bitter. I've lost everything. I have nothing. I have nothing. And now she takes this child, puts the child in 
her lap. Imagine that moment. What was overcoming Naomi? What was she feeling? Ruth now in faith. There's, there's kids been redeemed. The land has been bought back. Everything's been restored. And it says, the text says, she named the baby. I mean, she became a nurse, which is like a man. Again, it, it could just stop there, but it's like uh, that point in, you know, I don't know if you ever go to movies. And you'll watch movies. Uh, and you're like about ready to leave. You know, you're about ready to walk out of the movie theater, and, and all of a sudden, your, your friend or brother mentions, like, oh, I was back there, there's a scene. And then all of a sudden, the scene comes up on you, you're like, oh, what's this? This is great. And it's like this whole other scene. And then you realize, oh my goodness, there's so much more to come. And there's, there's all this stuff that's that I didn't even realize. And there's more to the, it just adds to it. And that's what we have in the final verses of Ruth. You think it's like all about the name of Ruth. And then it says, Obed, the son, was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And then, in chapters 18 and 22, I'll spare you reading all the names. If you're looking for baby names, by the way, genealogies in the Old Testament. And, uh, Old Testament. Salmon, I think Salmon's good. Uh, Hezron, I don't know. But that genealogy is there to highlight the fact that from Ruth and Boaz were come the father of David. And if you flip to your old, I mean your New Testament, and you read the first book, Matthew, you go to Matthew chapter 1, guess who, and it says right there, the genealogy of Jesus. You start reading, guess whose names you're going to read. You're going to read, you're going to read Boaz. You're going to read these names, and so all of a sudden we have this greater picture going on that this is not just about Ruth and Naomi, but God had a plan in using this obscure story all along to redeem his people. And as we as we close up here, one couple things I want to say. God isn't looking. God is not looking for ability but availability. How we can apply this, he's not looking for ability but availability. Because really, you look at Ruth, what does she have to offer? All throughout this story, she's poor, she's broken, she's, she's on the ability scale, you're thinking, what does she I mean, really have to offer? But she's available, she's just there, and the Lord is using her and her kindness all along to bring about something so much greater and grander. Talking about tapestries for a moment, you might be thinking, oh my goodness, when I talk when I talk to Christian and he starts affecting my heart, and I, I lovingly, kindly share, and, and I, I do kind acts to others and in obedience to wanting to show Jesus, guess what? You might not always be able to see your kind, your loving kindness, your actions. You might not be able to see the front side of that tapestry. Until eternity. And all the while. We have to see the implications. Wow. God was using an ordinary, mobile woman and just being kind of loving the world up, being in the genealogy of Jesus. Guys, he wants available people. The king wants just available people. He doesn't mean all the way to the 
Hands like this. And then I want to plead with you as we end this book. I mean, think about it. We read four chapters, but this roughly would have been like 20 years. 20 years for this to finally come about. And on the surface, it seemed like a complete, ruined, mangled mess of a situation. And what we see is the tapestry is being turned. And the tapestry is being turned for us this morning too. And I love it how now because of this king coming from this land. Listen, Jesus is saying, as these, as these women said to Naomi, Jesus is saying to us, I have not left you this day without a What is, what is it for you? As we end this, this series, what is it that you need to just say, this is the table mess, this is it? And you need to lean in. And you need to see the reality of Jesus' price that he made for you on the cross, his resolve to redeem that in you. And then you have to see that the Lord trusting him in that, that he is working in those messes. And, and you might not be able to see the turnaround of that tapestry. You might see it maybe this coming year. You might not see it until eternity. But you are holding fast that he says, I have not left you. Listen, there's not a single person that is not left. He has not left you without the let the river of Ruth sink us in, into that. Redemption is here. Thank you, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this word. And I pray that you help us to uh, just enjoy this. Enjoy this morning. I pray that, Father, you would help anyone here that feels, again, like they have, and they're too far gone. That they would hear or that this situation is a mangled mess in their life. Help them to see the beauty of what Ruth teaches us. That God, you are working through it all. And that you are working even now, even in the mangled messes of our lives, to bring about our glorious redemption and put it into your hands. And I pray to you, to lean and trust me more into you. Thank you that you have the delight in coming to redeem us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, we come to a uh, time of the Lord's table, and uh, again, I couldn't think of any better picture that showed redemption and the price of redemption than Jesus um, uh, going to the cross. The night uh, I was praying, he took bread and he broke it. He said, This is for you. Do this. Do this in remembrance of me. Friends, I do this. I'm laying out my life to do this. Do this in remembrance of me. And said to me after supper, took the cup. And he said, This is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink this as often as you see it in remembrance of me. So the reality is, this table is a time where we're, we're believing the Holy Spirit you know, is, it is, is bringing us into union with Him, strengthening us, our, our, our union with Him. 
And this is this is not the um, the table that our denomination or the table of uh, this particular church part. This is Christ's invitation. This is His table, and the table is open for all of those who say, "Yeah, I believe in Jesus. I'm walking with Jesus. I need Him. I even need more of His redemption today. I need Him." And I would just say, if, if, if you're still figuring out Jesus, you're still like on the fence with Jesus, I would just ask you, instead of taking the elements, the, the elements that point to the Redeemer, sit in your pew and just go to the Redeemer. Get your heart right before you come to the table. But this is an invitation to all those who put faith and trust and coming to the table in me. Coming to the table knowing that he delighted to lay down his life for us. He delighted to lay down his life for us. Let me pray one more and one more for Lord, I, I pray uh, uh, just one that you would help us to slow down and to enjoy this sacrament. Thank you that you gave it to us for us. Thank you that, and, and not just remember, but to strengthen us, to really bring us your spirit doing something here in the midst of us. Breaking and dipping the juice that we believe that your presence is with us. So, Lord, let your presence be made known in a real, tangible way that our hope is restored. In Jesus' name. Amen. We also have gluten free options up here for those who need it. But again, uh, when your heart is ready, I invite you forth, and you're just going to tear a piece of the bread, dip it into the juice, and then return to your. So whenever your heart's ready, I'll invite you for it.
Father, thank you that uh, we can see the Christ of redemption by the way Jesus did. And I just pray that you would help us to not go to any other Christ, like it was the only Christ. The Christ of the Lord, life, death, and resurrection, Jesus, that brought us back to the I pray for the glory of you. We will bless the name. We will share you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, our tithes and offering passage comes from Philippians chapter 4. It says this, The gifts you sent are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice pleasing to God, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Um, if it's in your heart to give, uh, again, because he meets all our needs anyway, we're just giving back to him. Uh, if, if it's in your heart to give, there's a black box, you can drop your donations there as you exit, but also you can give online. Uh, but let's sing, and let's sing our closing song, putting weight on all I have is Christ. So.
for joining us at Grace Lakin. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Grace Lakin KS, on YouTube, and at gracelakin.com. Mm-hmm.